Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes and Happy New Year. And Ross Berman is here. Ross, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Dave. How are you? I'm good. Did you have a good holiday? I did, sir. How about yourself? I had a good holiday. And just so that we're totally open about it, we're recording this before the holiday's over. We're pretending it's New Year's. So any <laughs> any exciting resolutions you want to share? Um, No, nothing exciting. <laughs> Hoping to get back into the gym next year. All right, cool. Um, so we're going to talk about uh, something that's related to the topic of documentation, which has sort of a more confusing name as we're going to talk about it. But before we get into this, could you explain to the folks who might not be familiar with you, like a little bit about your background and, and what you focus on in your work? Sure. Yeah. So um, I, I grew up working as an engineer and an architect in government uh, contracting and as a federal employee. Um, primarily focusing on enterprise solutions for large government organizations such as the United States Air Force, the Department of State, uh, National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, um, and also another regulated environment such as financial and healthcare. So looking at enterprise solutions and getting product to market as quick as possible uh, in highly regulated environments. Okay, and these are and these are also environments where documentation is going to be a pretty big deal, pretty significant part of the work product you're producing. Yes, uh, in fact, a lot of places uh, value the documents over the actual product, especially so the waterfall ones. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's a very interesting problem set because uh, the Office of Management and Budget, who kind of funds all the government agencies has specific requirements to provide documentation to make sure that programs where uh, federal money is being spent or federal money is being used is being used appropriately. And a lot of times the processes set up to prove that are very document heavy. Okay. Okay. Um, now, when you kind of proposed the topic, you called it work bifurcation and change control, right? Yes. Which, what does that mean <laughs> for the simple-minded <laughs> well, people? Because I saw it, I was like, that sounds really complicated. Whatever it is, I'm sure it's going to be great, but I didn't understand what you meant. Sure. So work bifurcation is basically breaking work into smaller pieces. Um, so creating smaller chunks that can be delivered faster. And change control is basically when something is approved, it's the process in which to make changes to it. So it's very interesting if we think of um, software and documentation in a regulatory environment, um, trying to get things approved in smaller chunks is typically difficult because those documents are valued more than the products being produced. So looking at a way to approve things with less information and then working through a change control process to add things to it incrementally. So it's a, a kind of a way to look at doing documentation in a agile manner, just like we would do software in a scrum team. Okay. So for the folks that are familiar with the idea of incremental delivery, producing stuff every sprint or every cycle or in some kind of ongoing pattern to get feedback and see if it's right. And a lot of people leave the documentation out. They'd still do that at the end. Yeah. Or they'll do it in the beginning before work can even start. So 
that's a that's a thing that we see a lot. There's a lot of documentation that's front loaded in the process, and there's hundreds of pages of documentation that have to be delivered prior to um, engineers being able to actually develop the the solution. And depending on what that is, it could be you know some sort of hardware, it could be software, you know whatever the case is. There's there's people waiting to do work because a document needs to be created, vetted, approved, and you know, kind of stamped off that this is good to go before things can actually start happening. Okay. And even though that's going to sound ridiculous to a lot of agile people, the problem that was trying to solve from the waterfall perspective is to reduce risk, to make sure we knew what we were doing before we just ran off and started chopping things down. And the whole change control process is also about managing risk. And if it's heavy handed, it's just to try to limit variability in the system to make sure that everything is vetted before we implement a change, right? Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of risk in, in a lot of regulated environments. You know, there's risk to uh, sources and other types of military people being found out who they are when they need to be um, anonymous. There's um, in the healthcare industry, there's patient risk where solutions can actually harm people instead of help them. So there's a lot of uh, bigger risk in regulated environments than um, in some of your more typical rapid delivery type solutions like Spotify, where you may risk making somebody upset that they don't have the feature they want or a playlist doesn't work correctly or whatever, but nobody's going to die uh, be harmed because of that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I wanted to kind of highlight the point that from an agile perspective, these older approaches seem stupid or, or nonsensical or not helpful, but they were trying to solve a different problem than we're often trying to solve right now. And, and what, how would you describe the problem that we have now when, when, when it comes to the documentation? So the problem, the biggest problem with the documentation is lead times before, before things can happen. So um, a lot of the agencies have built these processes to deliver software in an agile format, but they've written their policies in a way that looks very waterfall. And they've all replaced older policies that were waterfall. So a great example of this is um, DISA used to have a, a process called DICAP, which was their security process to make sure that the government solutions in the DOD wouldn't be hackable and people couldn't get access to information they shouldn't have. Um, and then when they replaced it with the risk management framework, they wrote the documentation in a waterfall linear process. And there was this really small print underneath all of the process diagrams that said, we have depicted this in a linear fashion, but you do not need to do it this way. But what ended up happening was people kind of glossed over that fine print. They replaced uh, die cap with RMF. They used the same old process and they didn't fix any of the lead time issues that RMF was trying to fix. So if you look across all the different government agencies, you can kind of see a trend there where an old policy was put into place. It was linear. That's the way we did work, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, into yeah. the 2000s. And now when, you know, the agile delivery movement has kind of taken off and been embraced by people, um, it, wasn't, it wasn't understood thoroughly enough to actually implement the change. So this this kind of thing, I mean, is pretty prevalent in any agile transformation. It's going to happen in terms of work habits as well as in understanding what's actually going on. So you're saying they replaced one system that was slow with another system that was slow, but felt like they were doing it more agilely than they were before? 
Yeah, and they and they <laughs> they could and and a lot of it. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons that I've seen across different agencies where these types of these types of things have happened. And you know, sometimes it's uh, people looking to do the same thing they've always done, and they got put on some kind of tiger team or a group to understand the new process, but really they just kept the old process and renamed it to the new process name. In other places, they tried to do it, but still tried to figure out how to fit old roles into a new process. So I saw this a lot with DOD and all the different types of security personnel that were involved in the die cap process. And those people weren't needed in RMF, but they still had them. So they tried to figure out how to use them. And it created additional approvals that weren't necessary in the RMF process. So what do you, before we talk about how it's being solved, what do you think is like the root cause of this? Is it just them not understanding it? Are they too hung up on waterfall? Are they not trust agile? They don't, like what's the, what's causing yeah. all this stuff? So I think there's a couple things. I think a lot of people still have a, have an idea that agile is not for places with risk, right? So um, I think people think that agile delivery is all about, the wild west and just kind of doing what you want when you want to do it. Yeah. And they don't understand how important planning is in an agile model, especially at an enterprise layer. So I think that's a big problem. I think that the other big problem is in enterprises, you know, even if it's commercial companies or government, people have been there for a long time. You know, the last two main enterprises I've been, people have been there between 15 and 30 years. Yeah. And they've done the same thing 15 or 30 years. And it's really hard to change the habit. Look at something new and try to adjust the way you've lived for the last 15 to 30 years um, just for the sake of getting things out the door faster. Yeah. And okay. I think other people, um, and this is kind of the third class of problem, is think that getting things out the door faster removes the ability to deliver a quality product. So I think when you look at those three things, um, at large enterprises, new processes that are more agile and, you know, faster to market kind of scare people. Okay. So one of the things that I hear um, in class a lot when I'm teaching the, the CSM and the PO classes is that people would say, well, you know, whatever agile process, Scrum or whatever you're going to use, it's fine if it's like a website, but you could never use it for something that is high risk. I mean, you're talking about very high risk. People's lives are at risk with some of the work that you're talking about doing. And can you just comment on that before we start talking about a solution, like what you've seen in terms of Agile being safely applied in a very high risk environment? Yeah, sure. So I think that Agile can be applied in any environment. And it's about how you describe the work and how the work gets to the engineers. I think it's less about the practices and and cultural pieces of agile that people have put out. And it's more about the, the structure and how the system takes work from that executive layer and gives it to the engineers in a more consumable way. And doing things smaller doesn't remove the ability to be a quality organization. It actually increases it. And if you build those quality things into the, requirements, acceptance criteria, you know, into the process. If you build that stuff into your process, it shouldn't matter how big or small the work is. It will still be applied in the same manner. Okay. I think those are the things that will really help drive people to make this change when they see those small things coming out, but they're quality 
pieces of a bigger puzzle, you know? Yeah. Okay. So when we talk about that documentation that we were kind of speaking of a few moments ago, where people were trying to create it all up front, you're advocating for, I'm assuming, delivering it along with the work product in much smaller bits as you go. Is that correct? Yeah, um, that is correct. So the way that I've always thought about this is, and the way I've always kind of thought about agile delivery is you have this huge story and there's all these little chunks of the story that are very important, but um, in some ways can stand alone and be delivered by themselves. So the way that I always think about this is, you know, if you look at the Iliad, there's all these characters. There's, uh, you know, Agamemnon, Hector, Achilles, and each one of those characters is kind of like a feature of the story. And each one of those features has these little stories underneath it. Like Achilles has the story with his mother, the story with the Persepolis that he met on the beach, the story of him and Hector fighting because his cousin died. There's all these little pieces that can be built. They stand alone by themselves, but all together, all of those features and stories build this amazing, you know, epic. <laughs> and this is kind of where that term comes from, right? A collection of smaller things that makes a whole extremely large thing that can, that is extremely powerful. But each one of those people and each one of those stories of those people can stand alone. And when we look at things like that, we break up the work in a way where we're delivering something that works in a story. All of the documentation for that story, even though they're sentences, will build upon and build this feature. And then you have paragraphs of the document. And all those paragraphs then build into this huge document that we need. The documents are important. It's just the timing that needs to change. So how do we break up the work in a way that we can deliver the documents with quality so they get approved. And that to me is having a concept that gets approved. This is what we're trying to do and breaking up the work into those features and then changing the document as the features get delivered and tested and human factors is involved or security is involved or whoever else to make sure that those paragraphs or those features are the right features and paragraphs that we need. And we just build upon that. And then, you know, there's going to be still the need for end-to-end -end validation that the solution is going to pass all the regulatory concerns that we need, but we can build upon those huge documents and bringing the types of people who approve the documents and validate the documents and test the documents, just like we do with software in a Scrum team, you know, have test patterns involved in Scrum, you know, doing all that stuff. If we bring those people to the table, we're going to have a much more quality product in smaller chunks that hopefully at the end validation finds a, a lot less things that are broken when we do the whole solution at the end. Okay. Can I play devil's advocate for a second? Of course. Okay. So I can see how you could make the argument for something like this with software and we could be doing continuous integration. We're constantly checking to see if we're breaking the build. Um, and, on one level, I think what you're describing about the documentation part of it makes total sense, but there's the act of checking to make sure that whatever new documentation I'm creating or whatever change I'm recording doesn't conflict with a bunch of other stuff that we wrote like three or four weeks ago. Um, that there's no electro, I mean, that's going to be manual every time, right? 
it's going to require somebody to hold all this in their head and read through it and think, oh, yeah, well, there was that part on page 16 in that third paragraph that we had, the thing that's not like this. Yeah, and I think that's where we needed to kind of change our mind about what a document is. Okay. The way I always looked at documents is it's a database of content. And the database is structured in paragraphs and sections and chapters or whatever the case is. But if we removed the document part of it and we built a database that had all that content in it, we could actually monitor change control in that content through the database. And then we could deliver any document format we wanted by pulling that data into a template. So the data could be part of your CI/CD. It could be part of your process, you know, whatever the case may be. But it's just data. It's just data. And data can be pulled from a database, can be checked and double-checked and all those things approved in the database before it gets put into the document. So it's really removing the document as something that's important and focusing on the content of the document as data that's extremely important and part of the configuration of the software and part of requirements gathering, you know, whatever process that you have for that. And it gets output to documents throughout the process. So that change control happens in a much more structured environment than a document in a folder structure somewhere. So I just had like a really big oh shit moment in the middle of that, <laughs> beginning of that part actually when you were talking about that because we talk about decoupling the, the technology all the time, but you're talking about doing that with the documentation. Exactly. Like so that old way of, everything's everything's bound together, but you're just pulling it all out so that they're all separate pieces. Yeah, exactly. And if you think of the evolution of, you know, code in, in itself, right? Like the, the first pieces of code, you had to do everything as one big program. And then they created this object-oriented coding. And then they came up with a service-oriented architecture and microservices. And it's basically saying, take the smallest sum that you can deliver. And when you need parts of it to build an application, pull those parts together to do things, right? So it's kind of the same thing with data. And if you think of there was a movement in the 2000s about, excuse me, there was a movement in the 2000s about um, data decision support systems as opposed to document decision support systems. And that movement kind of inspired this frame of thought where content is important, but content doesn't need to be structured in a document. Content can be unstructured. And when you need to pull it together, you can use things like tagging mechanisms or translators, you know, whatever the case may be programmatically to take that content and deliver it in a concise way that's needed at the time. So I think that if we look at all documents that way, as a, as a place that structures data, the best place to structure data may not necessarily be in a relational data model or a database. It may be in data transformations or other types of tools that you can use to structure the data, but let's just keep all the content and make sure that we're keeping track of what's happening to that content. Okay. So this means that while we're helping an organization learn to adopt a different set of practices, a different way of working, we're also, and we're helping them figure out how to create a technical environment that supports that, that means there's another stream of effort to change the way we're capturing what that environment is supposed to do, the documentation part of it. We've got to change all our work habits around that as well. Yeah, and it's it's not it's not even the work habits as much as it is where things are because you're still going to be writing content. Like if you're storing data in a document, you're still putting the data in there somehow. 
So it's not even, it's really changing the mindset from waterfall to agile to DevOps, right? And that's the mindset maturity shift. Agile is the bifurcation part. Like how do we make things smaller so we can get to market faster, but still have our quality in, built into our system. And DevOps is really the shift to codify everything. And everything is documentation, configuration, tests, all of that stuff. And so when we start thinking about documentation as code, that's the data in the database and the translation from that data being in a database to the output, which is the document. And okay. so as we go through those mindset shifts, you know, it's really important to remember that the content is way more important than the structure of the document. And I think most enterprise people struggle with that because the document is what's due. Yeah. And like the PMO, their job is to the content to fit there. Yeah. And the PMO's job is to make sure people have created a document in the right format because that's what's in the SDLC. Exactly. And it's really funny because we, uh, you know, I always run into people who talk to me about audits. Most audits are auditing the process that you told them that you do. Yeah. To make sure that you're doing what you said you were doing. They don't actually care what that process is. So I could get audited at one place with a 100% agile process and pass. And I can get audited at the next place with a 100% waterfall process and pass. Because they, they're just making sure that the way that you said you're going to deliver that data to them to give them the comfort level that, that you're within the regulation is the way that you said you were going to do it. And most of those systems will have some kind of way of getting an exception as well, correct? Um, can you rephrase that? Yeah, so whatever process you define, let's say it's a completely traditional waterfall process and you're getting audited and you say, well, this project didn't follow the process. So we filled out the form that says this one's not going to follow the process because we're testing out an agile project. So that... Oh, yeah. So, so you in, get, in the you get a pass. Yeah, the current client I'm in, every project writes their own, um, they call it a, a development plan. And that's what gets audited. So okay. it's not even it's not even necessarily the enterprise process for making sure the documentation is done in a specific way. The enterprise process just tells you what data they need when. And the development plan, project over project, kind of allows that, that team that's been put together to... Um, explain how they're going to deliver that documentation. Oh, wow. so, okay. Yeah, really, you can you can end up tailoring how different teams do different documentation, and that's kind of one of the things that we're working with the current client on in in the medical industry is how do we change that development plan to meet the the leading agile governance model that we're putting in to get their products out to market faster. Okay. Okay. So how does this tie together with, I mean, you talked about DevOps a few minutes ago, but if it's leading agile that's in there working on a transformation with an organization, we've got the base camp model. Um, we're working at different tiers in the organization. Like how does this approach or where does it fit into the way that we approach transformation? So it fits in because it's really part of that ascension between base camp one, two, and three. Um, and if you think about the base camps, uh, you know, 
Basecamp one's about becoming stable and predictable and delivering with quality. Basecamp two is about getting faster. Basecamp three is about implementing some of that DevOps automation, right? So if you think about those three transitions, really what you're talking about is understanding how the system works currently and making that system as predictable as possible. And then Basecamp two is how do we start adjusting how we look at work to get things out faster. So that's where that, that real agile mindset of a whole vertical slice of the organization doing things in an agile way. That's when we ta start talking about the product craft that you mentioned that you teach in class yeah. of delivering epics, features, and stories that can be delivered independently, um, but make up a bigger part of the puzzle. And DevOps, is really misunderstood, I believe, in industry as, you know, building CI CD pipelines. And it's so much more than that because you can have a CI CD pipeline that works in a waterfall process. Um, and it really just is about the technology. And okay. DevOps is really about building code to do everything that you do. And that code is kind of different depending on who you are. If you're the person who writes the documentation, the code is the content in the documentation. If you're a person who, who writes tests, the code is the automated test scripts that are going to run in the pipeline. You can actually build a, an end-to-end -end pipeline that delivers all the required artifacts, whether it's code in a server or whether it's the infrastructure that the code sits on or whether it's the documents and test results and everything else through your pipeline. Um, but the real transformation is a mindset shift of how you think about what you're doing and okay. how it fits into the overarching system. So that's the most difficult hurdle that I think leading agile is going to work with people on to, to really get them to transform to that base camp three model, which is everything is code. Um, everybody who does anything and people are still super important. So it, not one of those things where we're saying you have to have, you know, robots do everything and nobody needs to think. Um, it's, hey, you're an expert in medical device quality or DOD security. I need you to think about what you're doing as providing data, whether it's security requirements or making sure patients won't get harmed with delivering a solution and having that data go into a system to rapidly deploy or deliver yeah. all of the requirements in an automated fashion. So this is another example of where the biggest, most complicated changes that have to occur is not actually work habits, but mindset and culture. Yeah. And, you know, culture is really important, but um, culture is a product of, of the system in which you deliver your work. And setting up the rules to deliver that work in a way that those behaviors or the culture of the organization support the system. And I think when you're dealing in these enterprise environments of people who have done the same thing for 15, 30 years and have been extremely successful, um, still need to kind of relook at the how they're delivering the content yeah. and, and kind of take themselves away from loving the process and put themselves back into loving the work, right? Because the work's not going to change. It's just how the work fits into the overarching system will change. Okay. So 
all this stuff that we've been talking about, it, it, I can completely see where this would be valuable, a valuable conversation for people that are working on teams or at the PMO or the middle level. Um, what, why does this matter to people at a senior level in an organization and how does it impact them? Well, senior people, um, if we're looking at, you know, how corporate strategy meets the work that's getting done, the biggest thing right now is who gets out to market first. You know, if you look across all the enterprise organizations that Leading Agile is working with currently and organizations that I've worked with in the past, it's about getting stuff to whoever's using their stuff as fast as possible. Because once you get that confidence in the marketplace and people using your, your tools, once they're comfortable with them, you know, people really don't want to change, you know, right. and it's, it's kind of funny because we're the change people who come in and help change your organization, <laughs> but we also want to help your organization deliver something that people will get so accustomed to using that they're never going to want to change, change Away it out from, yeah. and always have that customer retain. So I think if we can, help enterprise organizations get quality products that meet all the regulations and can get passed through, you know, different submission processes with the government as fast as possible. Um, we're going to help them achieve their revenue targets and hopefully keep them under cost and help them, you know, make more money off of the products that they're getting to market and hitting the market first is a huge part of that because, if you can create your product first and be the one company that does it, yeah. uh, the folks who need that solution are going to, are going to stick with you because you help them out when they needed it. And they're going to tell their friends who have similar problems and, you know, you're kind of grow through that being a trusted provider, but it, it was all because you were the only provider who did it to start with. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, do you have time for one more? Yeah. Okay. So it, I'm wondering if, I mean, having been through this before, if you're talking to either um, the C-level or, or even the PMO kind of middle management level, when you're approaching kind of taking on this effort of decoupling your documentation and treating it like code, are there any kind of cautions or warnings or things you, you, you wish people knew before you got in there to work on this stuff with them? Like, that they things you wish they saw before it was too late to see. Um, are you talking in the vein of like other consultants or the people on the ground? I'm talking about the people on the ground. I think, I think what ends up happening is there's this preconceived notion that agile doesn't care about documentation. And I think what I would caution people who are going into this with is that, Agile is about being able to pivot to meet market needs, but doing that in a way that's predictable and with quality. And if, if we don't understand and we don't make the customers understand the importance of the documentation, because it's, I'm not saying that we shouldn't do documentation or we should remove documentation. I mean, sometimes we'll see redundant documents and we'll say, Hey, we should just combine these two. Yeah. But it's not about moving the data in the document. That data is extremely important and it needs to be done. And I think the biggest resistance is people are going to think that we're going to cut documentation out because agile doesn't value documentation. 
but agile values whatever it is that the system requires to get the product to market yeah and in regulated environments that's documentation and we we need to get it done and we need to get it done with quality and we need to figure out how to do it a little bit faster and i think that is the key difference of people who have been doing the same thing in a linear format for 15, 30 years think that the new agile hippie guys are going to come in and tell you, we don't need, <laughs> we don't need this. We don't need that. You know, we don't and need your stinking documentation. Yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> and it's not about that at all. That documentation is extremely important. There was something that happened, you know, that caused an additional document or whatever. And it's, you know, like you mentioned before, it's a risk reduction. Yeah. Strategy there for a and reason. So, yeah. And, and, Agile, especially the leading agile governance model, is all about managing risk and making sure that we capture everything we need to be successful. Um, and then figuring out as a team maybe where we can lean things down. Like, do we need seven tiers of requirements or can we do that with three or four? Yeah. Um, not saying we don't need tiered requirements anymore because that's a regulatory requirement to you know, deliver a solution to market, but how many tiers do we need? Oh, well, the regulation doesn't say a number. So maybe seven's too many. Maybe there's a reason we're doing seven, but how do we do those seven in a more bifurcated way? And I think those are the types of things that we need is just some open mindedness so that when we come in, um, we're not threatening people and yeah. saying, Hey, your job's going to go away because you write documents and documents, aren't agile it's hey i need you to explain to me how your job works and what the outputs and outcomes of your job are so that we can design them into the system design them into exit criteria you know or design them into the workflow as a whole and how do we then make that workflow through the system in a way that we're delivering everything that we need to be predictable with quality and then we can start making the transitions to, to getting them faster. And I think we were very successful in our current client of, you know, understanding the documentation is important, but right. okay, how do we do it in a way that we can break it up and deliver that documentation incrementally? Cool. So is there anything about this topic that we haven't addressed that you feel like is an important thing to cover before we kind of wrap things up? So I think... There is also a big difference between the initial launch of a product and how that product gets um, additional features and things put onto it throughout its life cycle. And some of the documentation is required up front to do that initial product launch. Um, and I think that that's another thing that's really important to remember if you're uh, going through an organization and trying to change the way that they approach documents is you know, it can still be data driven, but some of it needs to be done up front, especially when you're in a medical environment where um, patient risk is high and you want to make sure that you're not going down a path that's going to hurt people in the future. Yeah. So a lot of the design and human factors work, that's part of quality um, and part of regulate, regulated environments needs to happen up front. But there needs to be a point in time where that becomes something that moves into that change control process. And I think that a lot of regulated places look at change control as just part of the latter phases of the process, but we need to think of change control throughout the entire process. And I think that's something that the team on the ground at my current customer learned very quickly 
is that, you know, initial launch, especially in a regulated medical environment, um, needs to be a little more risk adverse than normal software delivery uh, types of products. So just keep that in mind when we're talking to folks and when you're going through and making these changes is that the whole process may not be the problem. It may just be, um, you know, the, the way that the process is implemented and uh, the timing around specific types of work that needs to happen. Okay, cool. Uh, this is great. Thank you for doing this. Um, if people want to reach out to you with follow-up questions, what's the best way for them to contact you? Uh, my email is ross.berman at leadingagile.com. And uh, Dave, I believe you're going to post my LinkedIn profile link on the podcast. Those are the two yep. best ways to get a hold of me. Um, really looking forward. And thank you so much for your time, Dave. This was a lot of fun. Oh, no. Thanks for being here, man. And happy new year to you and to everybody who's listening. Happy new year. Thanks, Dave.